The scripture reading this morning is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 31. Christ, the wisdom and power of God. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we come to this text in the Bible, help us to understand, help us to hear, help us to believe. If you need to change our hearts in any way, Lord, we pray that you would meet us and change us as you see fit. We are yours, and we give you praise and glory. Amen. I remember walking through a dorm room, the hallway in this ratty old dorm in Ohio, and occasionally you hear some music, you hear some things, and I walked past a room in which I heard lyrics that stopped me in my tracks. Lyrics that made me stop, take a few steps back, put my head around the corner and say, what is this? If I remember correctly, and I might have really melodramatically made this a much deeper memory, than, so bear with it if it sounds a little dramatic, overly dramatic, but I think I remember hearing the line uh, that said, when we in our foolishness thought we were wise, he played the fool and he opened our eyes. We in our foolishness thought we were wise, but he played the fool and he opened our eyes. W what is this? Oh, it's, it's a guy named Michael Card. Okay, who is he? He's this like, Monk who plays guitar and writes songs. Great. Where do I find this? Where do I get it? Start it over. Can you start it over? And for the younger people, what we had to do is we had to actually um, press a button and it had to rewind because um, the tape had to go from one side to the other. And we had to then guess where the song began. I'll explain it later. But no, he got back to the beginning of the song. Seems I've imagined him all of my life as the wisest of all of mankind. But if God's holy wisdom is foolish to men, he must have seemed out of his mind. 
For even his family said he was mad, and the priests said a demon's to blame. But God, in the form of this angry young man, could not have seemed perfectly sane. When we in our foolishness thought we were wise, he played the fool and he opened our eyes. When we in our weakness believed we were strong, he became helpless to show we were wrong. And so we follow God's own fool, for only the foolish can tell, believe the unbelievable, and come be a fool as well. I'm pretty sure that Michael Card wrote this song after reading uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. You see, he's writing to the church in Corinth, in Greece, kind of just off to the left, east of Athens. At the time, uh, the, 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 the point at the southern tip was like the Cape of Good Horn of the Mediterranean. It was dangerous. It was, it was fearsome. And they developed a, a canal system so you could cut through Corinth, and you could skirt around the dangerous part, and you could cut across. So Corinth became a bottleneck point, a pinch point in the empire, a pinch point that made commerce flow through it. All the east and the west would flow through Corinth. If you want to try to picture ancient Corinth today, with modern examples, if, if New York City and, um, and Vegas were to have a baby, it would be Corinth. It was the nightlife, it was the sea life, it was the commerce, it was the intellectual, it was, I'm sure the foods were amazing, they had all the spices and things that could come from anywhere in the world. They were wild, they were rambunctious. So much so that it's not even just, you know, not, if, if I said, oh, the Corinthian church, if you guys remind me of them, not, you'd be insulted probably if you understood the situation. But the Corinthian culture was so known that even the Greeks and even the Romans would refer to somebody who was debaucherous and lived an immoral lifestyle as Corinthian. I don't know what that means for Corinthian leather, by the way. If you have any Corinthian leather, I, I think you're okay to own that. But the still, the people of Corinth were just known for wildness and excess and luxury, power and prestige and fun and probably late night vendors. So in this setting, in this context, the Apostle Paul came and he proclaimed Christ. Christ crucified, Christ resurrected. And then others came. A few people gave their life to Christ and said, oh, this is the way. When they did, they entered into a new family with a new world, a new worldview, a new kingdom. Why? Because they decided to follow the foolishness of God. But in this context, when they would start up a new church, several, uh, many in the group would come out of Judaism. Because Jesus was the fulfillment of the Jewish scriptures. Jesus was the fulfillment of the Jewish Messiah. But we all know that in this new world, this new kingdom, the 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 barriers, the walls came down. The, the, the barriers of being in God's people by being in the right bloodline is no longer what matters. 
It's who you understand Christ to be. And now Jew and Gentile would worship together in this new humanity. If you go to Ephesians 2, you can take a look at how the mystery of God was that the two of old, either far from God or near to God, are now being molded and crafted and formed into a new people, a new humanity. And so here he's trying to tell this, he's leading off to this letter to the Corinthian church. Now again, the Corinthian church had its issues. It had its problems. And I think we've even talked about it here before, that if the Corinthian church were here today, it would be our struggle to stay um, in communion with them. Because they were so messed up. But I just highlight that again and remind you that Paul did not cast them out. He corrected them. He did not untie his ties to them. He called them to raise the bar, to repent, to become new, to walk in the truth of Christ. And they had this challenge because they were in Vegas and trying to live now a life that's in Christ. You can see that there could be maybe a long journey to relearn their views and their ways and their patterns and their habits and their values. But there's this tension here between the Greeks who just, who just loved wisdom and loved a guest speaker. Again, remember, there's no Netflix to binge watch. You had to have, for, for intellectual entertainment and stimulation, you, you went to the, the, to the center of town and the, the, the arts would be performed, the theaters would, be, would happen, but also the intellectuals would come and give orations. And so you would be graded, you would be compelling based on how good of an orator you were. Oh, N.T. Wright highlighted, the, he paralleled the, uh, Julius, Caesar's, Julius Caesar from Shakespeare. If you've ever read that or seen that performed, you'll recognize that Brutus gave a, an appeal to the people that was very measured and kind of uh, monotone and intellectually sound as to why that Caesar was a threat to the democracy at hand, and we had to remove Caesar, and therefore. And then comes Mark Antony, right? Mark Antony comes in, and he plays a game. He says, uh, he, he tries to say, I'm not here to convince you of anything. He says, friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. I come not to praise Caesar, but to bury him. I come to give this man who served us well a just and right burial. And he continues to go on with his eloquent and magnificent speech, claiming that he's not coming with eloquent and magnificent speech. That reminds me of what Paul is doing here. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made the foolish the wisdom of the world? He's setting up a contrast. He's, he's reeling them in. He's setting them up to understand that they long for the good orator. They long for the good performance. And he's saying, God is not compelling you through performance, but he's compelling you through the cross. For since the wisdom of God through the world, God in the world, through its wisdom, did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save. So, what was preached? Christ crucified. What was preached? God came down and dwelt among us. The eternal God, the creator, became flesh and dwelt among us, walked among us and knew no sin, showed the way to God the Father, showed the way to the creator, showed the way that brings life that is truly life, and then was crucified for it. The people turned on him. The people didn't know the light, and they knew the darkness, and they hid in the darkness, and they fought 
darkness thought it had the victory. Darkness thought it won the battle. Darkness thought it would reign forever. When the nails went through Jesus' wrists and the life and breath left his body. But thanks be to God. The tomb opened. The angels testified, why are you here? We're looking for our Lord. Oh, he's not here. Death, where is your sting? Jesus defeated our mortal enemy. Jesus defeated the powers. Jesus defeated death. This was the gospel. This was the good news. The cross? And again, in our world, the cross is artwork. The cross is jewelry. The cross is something we look to adorn ourselves in a sense of beauty. Not so the Greeks, not so the Romans, not so anyone in that first century day. The cross was nothing but torture, shame. The, it's, it's the penalty you reserve to keep society in line. It's the penalty you reserve for those who deserve it most. The cross was humiliation and destruction and torture. So then here comes Paul into Corinth, Vegas, into the streets, saying, I've got, a, I've got one to tell you. God came down and he dwelt among us. He lived a perfect life. Ooh, this is intriguing. Tell us about this God coming down and dwelling among us. Did he come from Olympus? Is he the son of Zeus? Tell us. Tell us more. No. But he came and he dwelt among us and then he died. Hmm. Puny God. He died? How'd he die? On the cross? Oh, that's no God. You see, because if he were a god, he wouldn't have died. And if he did die, it would have been fighting in the battle like all the other Greek gods did. Not so. He died giving up himself, giving up his power. He died submitting himself to the will of the Father and doing what was asked that went through the scandalous path to and through the cross. Nah, that doesn't make any sense, and they move on. But a few believed, a few heard. Why? Because it's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And I want to be clear, the power of God is contained in the proclamation, in the preaching. But the power rests in the fact that Jesus lived. Jesus walked Jesus died. Jesus rose. The power of new life is because Jesus began the new life. The power of the kingdom is real because Jesus inaugurated it and he is the first tip of that domino. How many of you love seeing those little domino things? I can't imagine how many hours people set up to have a 60-second clip on the, on the internet. I don't have that patience. But if you think about it, where are we today? We are standing, we are sitting, we are worshiping, we are in, in, under the banner of Christ's love. Why? Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus died and he rose and the first domino was pushed. And the 12 gathered and heard. And then they were sent, go and make disciples. And ultimately, you and I owe our life 
to those who pass the faith on to us. So here we have the crux of this following the foolishness of God. The way of Christ is foolishness to those in the world. You see, Paul contends, Daniel Kirk said, Paul contends that the gospel has a way of taking all of our expectations and turning them on their head. In Christ, our whole worldview is flipped upside down. What seems right to us in the way that the world works is not right necessarily right in the way of Christ. It's funny, there were some Jewish agitators who were trying to make life hard for Paul, the Apostle Paul. And if you go to the book of Acts in chapter 17, I think it's around verse 4, 5, 6, somewhere in there, these, these agitators were coming and stirring people up and saying, look, we should go to the house of Jason. I think they're there. They are turning the world upside down. Well, while they were trying to stir things up, they told the truth. They were turning the world upside down. You see, because Rome had its power, Rome had its structure, Rome had its hierarchy, and it held it together through violence, fearsome, unwavering violence. Is that the way of Jesus, friends? Is Jesus' way through violence? Is Jesus' way through flexing power? Is Jesus' way through amassing through political strategy, places of influence? Is Jesus' way owning the laws and owning the courts and owning the authorities, the enforcements? What was Jesus' way? The cross. It, It has a way of turning our expectations on its head. God did not send us a Messiah so that Christians can outpace the world in its own game, did he? Instead, God's work comes as a genuine surprise to the watching world, where the world's measures stick and would indicate folly or weakness. While that happens, the gospel proclaims wisdom and power. And T. Wright said, the point is that when Paul came to a pagan city that prides itself on intellectual and cultural life. And then he stood up to speak about Jesus of Nazareth, who had been crucified by the Romans, but raised from the dead by God, and who is now Lord of the world, summoning people to full obedience. He knew what people would think. This was and is the craziest message that anyone could imagine. I remember I was talking with some people in a church setting, a Christian setting, and of course, uh, they, were, they were talking about some other faiths, and they thought, can you believe people believe that? I remember we were talking about the rendition that the, the, the uh, cartoon show, South Park, they did a comical satire on, uh, on, the, on the Mormon faith, and they all giggled at the, the punchline when it came out to show that some of they thought, how they thought some of the Mormon faith things were a little bit silly. And it struck me because I wanted to say, well, I can agree there's a silliness to that. Never lose sight of the absurdity that we believe in a resurrected dead God-man. And we believe it with our heart. And we believe it with our bodies. And we believe it with our minds, despite what the world may say. The world may say, Have you shown, can you show me many resurrections? Show me one other and I'll believe. But I question, will they? 
Show me, um, show me a miracle. If they see one, will they believe? Show me a withered arm that all of a sudden extends. I mean, let's just be honest. Who wouldn't be kind of intrigued to see that happen? I'm game. But when I do look at the scriptures and I do see that those who witnessed the acts of Jesus did not immediately follow. Those who witnessed the the walking on the water, the silencing of the demons, those who witnessed the healing of the possessed or the healing of the lame, those who witnessed the resurrection of the life of the dead being carried out to funeral. While some believed, not all believed, because darkness holds on to our hearts at times in ways. And what in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, you will find that the only way spiritual things are known and discerned is what? Through the Spirit. Paul knew that it was the craziest message anyone could imagine. Paul came to the Corinth and said the gospel, and it wasn't a smart new philosophy, it was madness. It wasn't an appeal to high culture, it was news of an executed criminal from a despised race. And this is the Jesus way. So, the, to be clear, This is the Jesus way that not only Jesus went, this is the Jesus way that he's called us to follow. It's easy for us to worship a risen Lord and say, thank you, Jesus, but it's a lot harder for us to bend our own world and turn our own world upside down so that we reject the ways of the world and embrace the ways of Christ. And he Wright said, of course, it's very easy for humans when they believe the gospel to turn it into a way of inflating their own personal political power or showing off how clever they are. But to do so is to undermine the very point of the message. I'd stuck with me so much. That's why I wanted to read it to you because I had to, when I read him write that, I was stuck. It's easy for those who believe the gospel to turn it into a way of inflating our own personal power or our own personal ideas or or showing off how clever we are. Yesterday, thank you so much for everybody who showed up to the Refocus seminar. For those that didn't make it, if you'd like to just take it and review it in bite-sized formats, we do have it up on our YouTube page. We have it recorded. And over time, we might take sections and have group meetings where we uh, go a little deeper with the section, but it was a great time. And in one part of it, Pastor Stefan from Manoa Church, he led us through uh, three circles, which is a tool, a simple tool for learning how to share your faith. It was delightful. It was easy. It was really cool how just having a format can help you share something that is so meaningful and, and, and personal, something that can actually possess the power of God to salvation. But if you've ever had the chance to share your faith with someone and they didn't immediately go, thank you, I now see clearly the rain is gone. You've cleared all the obstacles. I won't do that. But sometimes we share our faith and we start to want to pull our hair out and say, it's so clear. God loves us. Look what Jesus did. He died on our behalf. He rose so that we can live. How can you not see this? Right? Have you ever felt that way? Don't, you don't have to raise your hand. I have. And then I have to remind myself that those things that are spiritually discerned require the movement of the Spirit. I can't conjure up 
uh, a conversion. I can't argue well enough. In fact, if I try to argue you into the kingdom, I'm actually leaving the path of the gospel. I'm weakening it. If I'm trying to leverage you into a place where you have to believe because I corner you and I give you no other good options. I did that to a friend once. We were on a three-hour road trip. He could do nothing else. I badgered him. Two hours into it, he converted-ish. I was 17. I didn't know better yet. It's easy for us to turn it into a political message or a leverage of seeing how clever we are or how smart we are. But the act of following Jesus is the act of choosing to not win. The act of following Jesus, the way of the cross, is to choose to win by not winning. The Christian good news is about God dying on a rubbish heap at the wrong end of the empire, says N.T. Wright. It's all about God babbling nonsense to a room full of philosophers. It's all about the true God confronting the world of posturing and power and prestige and the overthrowing it in order to set up his own kingdom, a kingdom in which the weak and the foolish find themselves just as welcome as the strong and the wise, if not more. One example that I have for this, and I don't, hopefully this is one that will resonate and not become a blockage so that you can't hear anything more. But when I look at the way that the leaders of our civil rights movement employed and were empowered by the gospel, they saw that wrongs were being done. They saw that wrongs were being done to them and to their neighbors and to their people. And did they fight the civil rights by organizing and getting a militia? Not the main group. Where was their, where was their strength found? Is that, that visibly the rest of the country could see the horror and the ugliness of racism because they stood Silent, they stood peaceful. They sat and were drugged and were beat. They let the ugliness and evil and profanity reveal itself because they took the way of Jesus. Not perfectly, none of us are, none of us will be. But you can see that when they took the example of nonviolence and called on the name of Jesus, they took the path to let ugliness real, reveal its head. They let Rome reveal itself as Rome. And that's how masses of people had their worldviews shifted and changed. Not because somebody came in and dominated and said, you need to think a different way. For the record, does that ever work? <laughs> you need to think a different way or else. We can take a look throughout history time and time again. Justice in the name of justice expressed through domination never yields justice. But it becomes compelling when we follow the way of Jesus. Peace in the face of violence, letting the violence itself show its repugnance. Daniel Kirk said, in our culture, we have a tendency to expect that Christianity will come alongside and reaffirm many of the ways of looking at the world around us that are otherwise embedded into our culture. But this passage pulls back the curtain so as to expose the inner workings of the kingdom of God. It allows us to see that God's way of working in the world are so entirely unexpected. 
that they can only be recognized as powerful and wise by those who've been given the Spirit of God to see it. So what then is this power, this pulling back the curtain, this revealing of the inner workings of the kingdom? But it's the power of God, by God's own doing, by uniting people to Christ. It's it's Christ is the wisdom. Christ is the power. The cross was the path and the power of God's salvation, God's inauguration of a kingdom, God's salvation of people, God's formation of a kingdom of people, a family under his name, united to Christ. This union with the crucified Christ then is to play out in all aspects of our church life. When we realize that Christ is the substance of everything that we could want The wind is taken out of the sails of any argument that would take us to display worldly power, to display worldly wisdom, to employ worldly prestige within us and within the church. Going back to the song of Michael Card, he said, for the power of paradox opens your eyes and the blind and blinds those who say they can see. So let's heed his call yet again today. So come lose your life for a carpenter's son, for a madman who died for a dream, and you'll have faith his first followers had, and you'll feel the weight of his beam. So surrender the hunger to say you must know and have the courage to say, I believe. When we in our foolishness, thought we were wise. He played the fool and he opened our eyes. When we in our weakness believed we were strong, he became helpless to show we were wrong. And friends, so we follow God's own fool, for only the foolish can tell. Let us believe the unbelievable and come be a fool as well. Lord, help us as we live this life to be fools for you, to not seek winning, to not seek prestige, to not seek the power and ways of this world. Lord, we don't need to win because you have already won. Help us to believe that and etch that into our minds and souls so that as we live life, we live like the carpenter's son. We pray this in Christ's holy name for his glory. Amen.